Uh, if you're talking in the chambers, I can't hear you at all. That was an echo. Hello? Can you hear it? Hello. 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 I, I can, can hear, hear now. something. Oh, yay. All right. Okay. I will start back with AJ Antrim. Here. <laughs> Shri Balamarugan. Here. Rafael Fernandez. Here, here, here. <laughs> All right. Patrick Vu, I believe, is not able to uh, attend tonight. Vice Chair Brian McGee. Present. Chair Faith DeBolt here. Okay, so now we'll move to approval of the minutes from the December 14th, 2022 meeting. Are there any comments or corrections of the meeting minutes? I'm not hearing any in the room, any from commissioners on Zoom. None here, motion to approve. Second. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, minutes have been approved. Okay, public comment. Now's the opportunity for members of the community to provide public comment. Uh, please limit comments to three minutes and we ask that you treat everyone with kindness and respect. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome to express their viewpoints. I don't see any members of the public in the room. Uh, do we have anyone um, over Zoom? Yes, we have uh, Brad Weed. So let me unmute you and... Uh... Again, uh, we have three minutes per person. Thank you. Can you hear me? Oh, there I am. Uh, is it? I have uh, three slides I'd like to share. Is it possible for me to to share? I'm not sure if it will allow you as a attendee. You can you can try and share it, and we'll we'll see, but. Yeah, I don't I don't have any options available. Yeah, unfortunately you cannot. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll just I'll just read through it. Um, good evening, Joel, Faith, and Commissioners. My name is Brad Weed. I'm appearing here tonight on behalf of Kirkland Greenways. Uh, as part of your agenda tonight, you'll be briefed on the Park Lane study the city has undertaken with the consultant MIG. Your memorandum seeks your input in writing, but we believe your input should be in person alongside other stakeholders. Upon learning the city and MIG would be consulting local businesses, but not other stakeholders, we reached out to be included. 
the city has graciously agreed to include members of Kirkland Greenways and other advocacy groups in the listening sessions next week at the Heathman Hotel. I would encourage each of you to consult with Joel on whether it's possible for you to attend one or more of these 15-minute sessions. We consider transportation and planning commissioners stakeholders and believe you should participate in listening sessions alongside business owners. Kirkland Greenways proposes a flexible but predictable pedestrian-first implementation of Park Lane with a clear framework to ensure success. We suggest these three actions. Determine predictable hours that Park Lane will be fully pedestrianized. For example, between May 1st and October 15th, all day on all weekends, after 5 p.m. on all weekdays. Between October 16th and April 30th, all day on weekends, plus as appropriate at other times when activation events are planned. Number two, promote full throttle activation. Businesses and residents value downtown most when there are people walking, interacting, and socializing all year round. Designate an activation coordinator to design and plan Park Lane activation events that attract residents and customers. Ensure a year-round activation calendar that brings people downtown for special occasions, holidays, and seasonal events year-round. Connect the Kirkland Performance Center, Library, and Community Center for further entertainment, education, and community engagement. And number three, develop a thoughtful package of retail enhancement strategies. Support retailers on the block and throughout downtown with training and tools. How to promote, manage, and leverage an influx of pedestrian traffic in anticipation of increased downtown density. Sponsor seminars on how other retailers have successfully managed transitions toward pedestrian-oriented businesses. Work with delivery services and garbage collection on ways to manage deliveries and pickups on pedestrian-oriented streets. We recognize you all have ideas of your own, and we look forward to them being heard, ideally in person, with the consultant and other stakeholders. Thank you for your time and your service, and we look forward to your engagement. Thank you, Brad. Franz, do we have anyone else? Uh, yes, we have a Jenny Yeager. Ms. Yeager, you're, you're unmuted and you, you may speak. Thank you. Um, I'm Jenny Yeager and I am here from uh, Livable Kirkland. And um, I will keep it very short because I'm here uh, to support everything uh, that Brad just said. And um, I would love to see um, all of you folks uh, signed up um, for the listening sessions uh, that Brad mentioned. Uh, and uh, I would love to um, see Park Lane become as pedestrian focused as is possible. Um, thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, Franz, anyone else? Is there anybody else that would like to speak? Uh, seeing none, I believe that will be it for the public comment section. Okay. Okay, moving into uh, the 
Um, next agenda item, we have the Neighborhood Traffic Control Program Policy Revision. Uh, for that, we are joined by trans Transportation Planner Victoria Kovacs, who will provide a briefing on the Neighborhood Traffic Control Program and proposed revisions to the corresponding roadway pre-approved pre policy to streamline the community engagement process and refine engineering criteria to better implement neighborhood traffic calming projects as part of reviving the uh, program. Uh, staff is seeking comments from the commission prior to presenting to council. Hello, yes. Good evening, Commission. I'm Victoria Kovacs, Transportation Planner, here to present on the Neighborhood Traffic Control Program Policy Revisions, or NTCP for short. These are some great brochures I found in the archives I thought you might find fun about the Neighborhood Traffic Control Program. So this program was established in 1993 for concerns about growth and residential traffic volume and speeding, particularly in neighborhoods. Uh, there were several staff and a capital improvement budget for the program. It was discontinued in 2009 with the Great Recession. Then in 2011, the city did annex Ben Hill, Juanita, and Kingsgate, so a much larger city. And in 2012, there was a levy put to voters to fund um, transportation improvements, which was approved, and that funding allowed the city to hire an NTCP coordinator and the pilot of the neighborhood safety program, which we now know and love. Uh, that coordinator was a half-time person, and she retired in 2020. With her retirement, that program was suspended, and since then, any neighborhood requests for traffic calming are sort of responded on an ad hoc basis by transportation staff. Uh, more recently last year, the city council adopted the Vision Zero Action Plan to make more proactive approach to um, reducing speeds and preventing serious injuries and crashes in Kirkland. And in December 2020, council allocated an annual budget to the Neighborhood Traffic Control Program to revive and what was a really successful program back in the early 2000s. And here's another great brochure from the archives uh, circa 2005 about neighborhood traffic control and uh, residential speed enforcement. So particular to traffic calming, the pre-approved policy R20 outlines how the city addresses these resident requests, and it is a phased approach. We start at you know, lower cost intervention measures of phase one, which might be deploying the portable speed radar sign. It might be the neighborhood um, speed radar campaign signage, uh, roadway striping, like the 25 mile an hour markings you see there. Phase two might be a more comprehensive roadway striping or interim tactical urbanism type interventions like these painted curb extensions. And then phase three would be uh, more intrusive physical measures like curbed traffic circles, curb bulbs, speed cushions, and the like. And of particular interest and 
the policy revisions to discuss are related to those phase three measures. So in the pre-approved plan, you'll see in addition to engineering criteria of a certain threshold of speeding over the posted limit, maximum volume of vehicles before you can consider phase three measures, there also needs to be strong community support. And this community support involves a broad group of stakeholders, not only residents who live on the street where you might consider an intervention like a traffic circle or a speed hump, but also those on um, connecting local streets or even broader neighborhood residents who might use that street to reach another destination, not as a cut through route, but as a direct access route. And if you read the policy, there are a bunch of other stakeholders listed that are suggested you contact like HOAs, neighborhood associations, police, fire, schools, transit agencies, and businesses. So it gets to be a big room of people. Uh, the engagement is very high on the ladder of public engagement. It's, it's an empower level of engagement. So the city will do what the neighborhood approves and that's done through a voting ballot measure. And I'll walk through the process in the next slide. And these ballots require 70% um, or greater approval to actually implement a speed hump or a traffic circle, which is very, very high. Um, it's more than, more than two thirds of our Senate, right? <laughs> and here's another great image of the archives of the Norkirk ballot. Um, this was kind of fun because it saw that neighborhood task, for, task force members have been meeting bi-weekly for a year and they approved this plan and now we're submitting it to you neighborhood to, to vote on it. Okay, so the proposed changes, um, we would like to focus the group of stakeholders who are engaged about a potential phase three traffic calming measure that would still include residents who live on the street where you might do an intervention and those connecting feeder streets into the street in question or businesses, but we wouldn't engage broad neighborhood level neighborhood associations and the like. It'd be more of a, a directly impacted by access. Uh, this also engagement we'd like to come down to a consult level of engagement, similar to all of our other capital improvement projects, more of a city-led design. We would incorporate neighborhood concerns and comments, and we would do, anticipating we would do door-to-door -door outreach for those maybe in the immediate vicinity and a mailer for a broader neighborhood. And that way we could incorporate those comments. We would like to remove the balloting process um, we feel that the engineering criteria as outlined would validate the need for traffic safety and calming. So it is more of a proactive approach than asking permission approach. Um, hopefully you can read this. It's a little bit dark on the screen, but this is the current process in the uh, current policy. You start with identifying all those stakeholders and the broader neighborhood connecting streets, you know, looking at are there schools, transit agencies, um, other folks who wanna engage. You would then create 
a community task force. Looking back in the archives, that's ranged from 15 to 35 people who would be meeting at least on a monthly basis for several months. Um, you would, you know, collaboratively, the city and the task force would collaboratively design the traffic calming plan. And that would be um, put together in a nice ballot and mailed out to the neighborhood to notify them of the plan, solicit comments, and then we'd receive those comments, revise the design, present back to the task force, and then we would mail out the neighborhood-wide ballots, which again require 70% yes to move forward. As a proposed revisal, we'd like to um, approach it more like a typical CIP project where the city would develop a conceptual design. We would again identify those stakeholders and either conduct door-to-door -door engagement with those immediately in the vicinity of the object, or we would send a mailer to the broader connecting streets, those who would be affected by access, um, still allow time to incorporate comment. Maybe, you know, we shift a speed cushion 100 feet because someone identified, hey, that's gonna block my view or whatever the concern may be. Then the city would refine the design and we would send out a mailer to say, this is what's happening, which are very similar to the project updates that go out now. And comparison between the two. Okay. Um, should I pause for questions on the community engagement piece or would you like me to continue through the engineering criteria? Are there any questions or comments from commissioners yet? Any online, Kranz? Oh, no. Apologies for those online that missed that. Here's again the comparison of the current process to the proposed process. Um, I can cover the engineering criteria. It's one slide here. We'd like to expand the applicability of traffic calming devices to collector streets with residential land use contexts, uh, such as um, Slater Ave is one example. Uh, we'd like to increase the maximum threshold of vehicles per day on a particular street to 4,000. It's currently 3,000. Uh, we'd like to expand consideration of siding and striping, those phase one and two traffic calming measures um, for only speeding over five miles of the posted speed limit. The, currently, the current policy requires at least seven miles per hour exceeding this posted speed limit for any measure. We would still require at least that seven miles per hour for those phase three um, measures. Phase two, one and two measures, signing and striping. Similarly, we'd like to consider for um, routes with emergency vehicles or bus routes or routes with long wheelbase vehicles, and that could be trucks or 
boat trailers. I don't imagine that will come up too often, maybe more with collectors, but since um, local streets are generally not emergency vehicle or bus routes, I don't imagine that conflict coming up. But if we did do signing and striping, uh, it wouldn't be a physical impediment to those vehicles. And also just clarifying that before and after studies would be done for phase three measures, just to measure the, the volume impacts of any diversion around those devices um, and make sure that it's actually working with speeding. And again, we would still maintain a phased approach where we would do uh, lower cost, easier to implement um, striping and, and signing measures before we would do uh, permanent things like cushions or, or um, circles. Yeah. I have one comment. Um, I live on a street that's really busy and it has speed cushions and they have the gaps for like emergency vehicles. But what I've always noticed over the years is that um, vehicles will aim for those brakes, you know, kind of swerve a little bit. And like yesterday we had, I had a situation where I heard this loud speeding vehicle and a crash, or not crash, but you know, like a loud noise. And it was a flatbed construction vehicle, probably going about 50 miles an hour, hit the speed bump and um, pallets on the back and flying off the vehicle and crashed on the street. So the guy went over to the side of the street and ran back to pick up the pallets. But um, yeah, I think that there's sort of a challenge drivers that when they see that, they want to see, can I make it at a higher speed or what's going to happen? You know, it's some sort of like a game. So I don't know if there's a way of like considering that in the future measures. Yeah, thank you for that comment. Definitely, you got to take into account the local context. Uh, you know, speed cushions are just one tool. Uh, traffic circles are another tool. Curb extensions are another tool. Um, I don't believe Kirkland has any, but chicanes are another tool. It's hard because we've got to balance both the enforcement and the design, right? This is just talking about it from a design perspective, but it also, enforcement is a key component of this program. And we do often, you know, start with that saying, hey, um, Officer Gerke, can you go out and monitor at this time? We've got a, a lot of complaints around 10 a.m. on this street. Could you monitor? Um, and usually we do that before we do, okay, well, now we got to do 25 mile an hour signs and the, and the pavement markings. And then if that doesn't work, then we would go kind of that next measure of, well, our speed cushions, a good idea here. So, but thank you for that comment. Sorry to hear that happen. At least, uh, no one was injured. Right. Yeah. Uh, so next steps is I will share your comments on these policy changes and this presentation with city council uh, in a couple of weeks in February. Uh, other updates I wanted to share with you. I'm working with uh, GIS to develop a web map of all of the traffic studies that have been done by our transportation staff. This is just a screenshot, screenshot of it, um, of the studies over the last five years, which is really impressive, but essentially they're two counts that are done over three days and we analyze the speed and volumes in response to resident requests. So it's really nice to share with the community what the city's doing and how responsive we are. And similarly, 
um, if someone in the neighborhood is wondering, hey, has my street ever been looked at before? Now they can zoom in and see if they have. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your comments. I can go back to any slide if there's anything in particular interest. I would just real quick like to note that the, um, you know, it's kind of a relation back to uh, our dashboard conversation that we had um, about making th making things accessible. That that kind of traffic count and speed data is already currently available on our website in a kind of cryptic black and white kind of spreadsheet that's kind of hard to hard to kind of discern. So this is a you know going to be a a big improvement over what we currently provide, um, much more approachable. So yeah. Here's our current website. So here you can you can see the studies. Um, it's a little hard to look at a spreadsheet. I I personally find. Um, and similarly, we're also updating the website. The website kind of just says now the program has been suspended. So with this new funding allocation and kind of with these policy changes, we'd like to wrap all of those up into nice one big update uh, on the website. Hey, thanks, Victoria. Uh, we have questions or comments from commissioners. Let's see, Brian's got his hand up. Yeah, one thing, the, the map is really nice. <laughs> one question I kind of mentally came up with as I was looking at it, the speed data is great being able to pull that. Do we have data or ability to map which locations are already phase one, two, or three? Because if someone is like newer to the area and moves in, and wants to have um, something implemented, being able to know if there's been anything done in the past and if they're on the path to, maybe they want something that's phase three, but they have to start at phase one, kind of being able to have that understanding could be good. Yeah, yeah thank you, that's a great idea. Um, I will connect with our GIS to see what kind of layers we have. The phase one and two might be harder with striping, it might be in, at a different layer, but I think that's definitely something we could look at. Okay. Um, I think overall, I just want to add that when I was in the neighborhood safety program representing Juanita, when we would propose projects for that program, it was often things that would fall into neighborhood traffic calming did not score well, so we didn't propose them. And so I'm very pleased to see that this is being kind of resurrected uh, by the city and that there's a, a focus here. And I think it's really good that the, the change in the process for phase three is going through to make it a little bit more easily accessible and viable to get things implemented. So there's really a clear benefit to some of these implementations. Thanks, Brian. Um, Raphael, and then I also just wanna find out if there's anybody online. Um, so all I have to say is streamlining the process is a good thing. Uh, I think uh, we see it in other community enhancement projects. Why wouldn't it work here? Thanks, Rafael. Um, I had questions, I think, pretty similar to uh, Brian's. And I do, I um, second what Rafael was saying. I think it's a great idea to streamline. Um, and just sort of, I, I want to go study the the map <laughs> once that's available because um, 
just curious about, you know, how how often have things gotten to phase three recently, or I guess before the program was stopped? And yeah, I looked into it. I believe the last speed cushion was installed 2005. And I believe the last traffic circle was 2001, 2002. So it's been a while. I try to outline in the memo some of the reasons for that. I think part of it was with the city annexation and only having one part-time FTE to cover a much larger city. It was sort of kind of just answering as quick as you can. Um, it was just too much. Whereas in the early days of the program, I think they were three staff, maybe they were part-time, uh, but they were sort of able to hold the community's hand through the process, really be engaged, do these open houses. Um, whereas when it was just the one part-time FTE, she sort of said, you know, if you want to do it community, great, here's the process. But no one really took upon the mantle of responsibility to really rally the neighborhood and get that 70% approval. So I think it's a combination of, you know, funding, stretched resources, high threshold of community engagement um, combined. We haven't seen these kind of phase three measures in a long time. Any other okay. question? Um, is there any available funding through that uh, recently adopted um, tab? Um, it doesn't cover that. Yeah, the tra transportation benefit district does not is, does not have funding in it for the um, neighborhood traffic control program. But the um, like Victoria mentioned in previous previous CIPs, there was fifty thousand dollars allocated every other year. So we basically had fifty thousand dollars per biennium, and <clears throat> I think it had been I believe it had been that for quite some time. So like everything else back in the day, you could really do something with $50,000. And it had gotten to the point where that was, you know, um, you kind of had to hoard it for a couple <clears throat> biennium just to do something. So now we have $50,000 annually. And so it does give us the ability to, um, to, to be more, you know, think about doing a project. And then, you know, the, the idea of tying it to the NSP and leveraging the funding that's in the NSP, and then also being, um, uh, strategic about if we can partner with another project in an area. And then additionally, one thing we've been thinking about is if we did have a, a project kind of go through the process and it ended up being a, um, a more significant project that maybe isn't appropriate as a program, you know, it always takes a few years to get these things, you know, from an idea to implementation longer than I think any of us would like, but, um, uh, but we might be like, wow, this is a this is a great project. It's got a lot of momentum. It's got a you know, it's a real safety issue. But what we're going to do is come back, um, you know, twelve months from now and put it in as a specific CIP project where it would be a standalone. You know, it might show up as whatever street uh, neighborhood traffic control project or something like that, and it would get its own standalone. But that would that would be something that council would decide through the you know, CIP process that would take place. Also, I think uh, we're trying to make 
I think, um, better efforts in coordinating. So, for example, the TBD projects, and there's, what, 40 projects that we have funded with the CAR tab, but there could be something that comes out of this other effort that you could really do together. It just would, be, and here's the benefit of this now. I mean, transportation has gotten a boost of staffing resources where that coordination is possible. It's when we have that lack of staff and we don't have a point of contact like we do now that those things, those opportunities, I think kind of leak out. And now I do feel like, okay, we've got more staffing, more resources. I, I do think the you know, now is a great opportunity to leverage projects that are already funded through other means and do more than one thing. That's the hope. So yeah. And it's just harder when we didn't have the staff, I think, to coordinate. I'm just curious on the uh, $50,000 annual budget. Is that just for once a project's gotten to the phase three, or does that include the full study from starting from phase one? So it, it would include phase one and phase two okay. um, signing and striping as well. The studies are done by city staff in-house, so there's not an added cost there, uh, but it could help uh, boost doing more signage right now. Signage is, again, done a bit on an ad hoc basis, pulling from our maintenance budget, which isn't great. Um, striping, we do incorporate into the annual striping program for efficiency, which is great. But if we wanted to do a phase two measure, um, like striping out a curb extension, that might be a special project that we couldn't get into the annual striping program. So this would be a, a fund for something like that. Okay, thanks. Any other questions or comments from commissioners? If not, uh, we can move on to the next agenda item. Thanks, Victoria. And then I think you are up again with yeah, I guess just to wrap up, does the commission support the proposed revisions to the policy as written in the packet? The council will ask if the Transportation Commission yeah. has reviewed this and if you advise this. I do. Yeah. I, I mean, we're not a voting body, but um, I think we can generally take notes that we're we approve. I'm seeing head nods, but you want to go ahead and vocalize. Motion to express support. <laughs> Thank you. Second. I <coughs> I also express support. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Okay, so moving to the next uh, agenda item, we've got the future of Park Lane study. So we've got Victoria and Special Projects Coordinator Martha Chaudhry, but I'm not sure if is she is she here or is she online. I'm I'm here. I'm online. Okay. Okay. Hi, uh, we'll uh, I'm Martha. Um, so you're going to give a short briefing on the purpose and scope of a consultant study for the future of Park Lane. And staff is seeking commission thoughts, observations, and ideas for consultant consideration in developing and evaluating scenarios of the closure of Park Lane to vehicular traffic. Okay. Thank you, Faith. And 
For anyone just joining, I'm Victoria Kovacs. I'm a transportation planner. I'm joined by Martha Chaudhry virtually in the city manager's office. Um, Martha, do you want to introduce yourself and your role at the city? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Martha Chaudhry. Um, as Victoria mentioned, I um, sit in the city manager's office doing special projects um, related to economic development, uh, tourism, and arts and culture. So um, I'm working with the transportation team and others um, on uh, the Park Lane Consultant Study, um, looking at the potential future of Park Lane um, and with a particular kind of focus on the on stakeholder engagement and small business relations downtown, which is kind of falls within my umbrella. Thanks, Martha. And sure. the consultant we've hired to conduct this study is MIG, uh, formerly SBR. I did invite them to join virtually. I don't know if they're online, but they will be coming to you uh, in the spring as well for presentations. So this is another great image from the archives of the history of Park Lane. I believe it was once known as commercial. And it's evolved from a street with parking to, you know, as it is, exists today, a more of a flexible festival street. And in the last recent years, we've experimented with evenings on Park Lane. So here's a history of Park Lane. Uh, in 2008, that's when initial funding was allocated for studying pedestrian corridor enhancements. Uh, here's the great study conclusion, which was completed by SVR at the time, which is now the firm MIG. So it's fun to come full circle with a consultant like that. Uh, and as I mentioned, 2015, there were significant renovations to Park Lane in coordination with the pump house that was done at the time. In 2019, there were pilot closures of the full lane from Lake Street to uh, 3rd, which closed the full street all day on summer and on Sundays in the summer uh, with mixed response. And then in, COVID, in the 2020 COVID response, then we closed one block of Park Lane from Lake to Main in the evenings with various, you know, begin and end times. Sometimes it was May, sometimes it was June, sometimes it went to October, sometimes it was 5 p.m., sometimes it was 6 p.m. So a couple iterations there. Uh, that program extended from 2020 through 2022. Uh, last year, you know, the active transportation plan update was adopted, which committed to continuing to look at Park Lane. And in just August, um, with the impending expiry of that evenings on Park Lane authorization, we asked council to um, approve funding for this consultant study to evaluate uh, what closure of Park Lane to vehicles um, would look like and what would that would entail. So we did a competitive selection process um, this last winter. And so we've just got MIG on board starting in December. Uh, here's some images of what those vehicle closures have looked like. Starting on the left with summer Sundays, it really was more of a standard 
road closure sign. Um, in 2020, it got a little more customized. You know, Martha put a lot of design effort into this. And then, um, as you know, today, it's a, a little bit nicer with flowers and things like that. So this study, the purpose of it is to really identify what are those practical opportunities and challenges of a permanent or temporary closure of park lane to vehicle traffic. And this would be park lane from Lake to Maine, only the West Block. And the three scenarios we've asked the consultant to look at are full year-round closure or full pedestrianization, um, a full summer closure or seasonal closure, and uh, a summer evening closure, like evenings on Park Lane, continuing that program. <clears throat> I put in green there that, of course, uh, no further action is always an option available to council, but we're not asking the consultant um, to evaluate a new action. <clears throat> These are the five key elements we're asking the consultant to look at in evaluating each of these concepts, infrastructure, operations, parking, programming, and public safety. And I've listed out some details here. You know, infrastructure could include heating, seating, parklets, bollards, barriers. Operations, we're thinking about maintenance. How do we open and close the street? Um, currently, it's a volunteer activity, you know, do we need dedicated staffing for that? Um, parking has been a concern. Um, could we improve the library garage with artwork or wayfinding? Or, you know, could we dedicate more stalls in the Lake and Central lot to um, restaurant pickup? Uh, programming activities, of course, a key um, consideration. How do we keep people coming to Park Lane and uh, public safety. How do uh, emergency vehicles, how do police vehicles access the lane? Here's a overview of the consultant schedule. We're here at the beginning of January. Um, we're treating this presentation to you all as an advisory board to council as really that listening session. We wanna hear your thoughts and ideas about Park Lane. Um, as the public commenter mentioned at the beginning of the meeting, we are also doing listening sessions with other stakeholders and uh, businesses and property owners of Park Lane next week and uh, virtually, I believe, over the following weeks. Uh, the consultant will develop alternatives for the next couple months and we'll come back to you at the March meeting to present what those design options could look like what are those considerations and findings? Um, then they'll do some more work. And the plan is to go to council in June to present the findings of this study. So now I would love to hand the mic over to you all. And I've outlined the three questions I included in the memo for discussion to gather your thoughts about the future of Park Lane. Yeah, Victoria, I had just one major question, I guess. Um, initially, when Park Lane was changed to a flexible street, there was a, a lot of input from the businesses, which vary wildly in terms of hours and type of business. Um, so what has, and so it was a, a real concern was deliveries, 
parking, um, and now that there's been some closures for certain periods of time, what have has the city noted any particular trend as far as the business saying this is okay, we're dealing with it okay, or is it still really concerned about like like there's a couple of consignment businesses on the north side, and um, how they get like large clothing bags or whatever. It usually customers would like to park there on the street and then deliver their goods and things. Um, have you heard anything about how those those concerns were? Uh, are they still there or are they just everybody okay with it? Victoria, do you want me to take that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, and I, I have no idea if people can see me or just hear me. Um, not that it particularly matters, but that's a great question. And um, what Victoria um, showed on the timeline is that we're, we're devoting some fairly um, significant consultant time and resources to um, gathering stakeholder engagement. And for the purposes of this study, um, we've really uh, focused and extended opportunities for engagement and feedback um, to those who would be most affected by any type of closure um, to vehicles of Park Lane. So um, yeah, we've done very, very broad outreach and have um, stakeholder engagement sessions set up, I, I think they're next Monday and Tuesday in person um, with a whole kind of sign up genius schedule of dozens and dozens of sessions. So we will begin to learn exactly the answer to the question you just posed, but um, certainly mitigation for things like delivery, um, repairs, public safety, things like that are top priorities for um, the consultant to look at in terms of, you know, how it might actually work to have some type of standard regular um, closure to vehicles on Park Lane and still accommodate the, you know, basic parameters of doing business on the lane, um, you know, getting emergency vehicles and things like that. So I think also broadly, um, stakeholders who are business owners and importantly building owners on Park Lane and the immediately surrounding streets, um, their opinions vary super widely depending upon what their business is. So um, I, no, yeah, so to answer your question, those issues have not been resolved but are certainly being taken into consideration um, through the study. Thank you, uh, Martha. Um, be interested to hear what you find out. Go ahead, Rafael. Uh, you mentioned uh, 2019. You said something like the response was mixed response or something. Uh, is there anything you would like to share or add a little bit of color what you meant by that? Are you referring to stakeholder and gate to like the there was a survey done? Is that what you're referring to? The statement I heard was uh, when the history was we presented that is we did this in 2019 and we received mixed response. I, I don't have context on what that meant. Yeah, the 2019 summer Sundays, um, there was less activity, pedestrian activity on the lane. Um, maybe, Martha, do you want to highlight that program? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I didn't immediately clicked that you were referring to summer Sundays, but that, uh, and that slightly predated my time at the city, but my understanding was it was a very abrupt um, decision to kind of pilot what it might look like to close the lane to vehicles. And there was 
really not a lot of um, stakeholder engagement or input and very, very little, if any, attention paid to activating the street or programming it. So um, a lot of the feedback, uh, not all, but a lot of the feedback that came from that pilot, if you will, was that you can't just simply close the street and expect that it's going to be vibrant. Um, there needs to be a plan, there needs to be investment, there needs to be infrastructure and programming and other things that add comfort and dynamism to the area and bring people rather than just sort of close off the street um, and, you know, at the risk of creating what what's known as quote unquote dead street. So that's that was some feedback that came from summer Sundays in 19. Thank you. Yeah, if any commissioners are interested, the city of Kirkland has updated the Park Lane website and there's a really great history. You can click through the tabs to read through everything I've presented here. We also presented this the history back to council at their August meeting and that memo really walked through everything we've heard. Um, we did do a big community survey back 2020. 21, I think. 21, yeah. And, and, and um, kind of all the limitations of that survey and feedback we've heard is all in that memo as well. Unless Martha, you want to recap that? Well, right now, well I, I don't I don't need to unless people want me to. But I and I again, I don't know whether people have access to the chat, but I did put the link to that page in the chat earlier. And the tab, the chronological tabs at the bottom really do a good job of laying out the actions um, on Park Lane, even predating 2019. Joel, could, um, because I'm not on the Zoom, I don't think those of us in the room are on the Zoom meeting. Would it be possible to put those linked materials, I don't know, in the minutes or send them out in an email after? Yeah, I can do that. Okay, thanks. Um, any commissioners on Zoom have any questions or comments? Oh, Brian. So one thing I'm seeing on here, just kind of as a question, is that the authorization expired. <clears throat> so we are doing this study, and the final report is going to council in June, but one of the options is either a full-year closure or a, say, May to October closure. So council will be making a decision until it's already getting into summertime. Has that been discussed? Yeah, that's an excellent observation. Do you want to take that, Victoria? Yeah, and that's part of the reason why we wanted to wrap up this study uh, quickly this spring to inform what happens next summer. Uh, schedules are tight, so the June 7th was what we kind of worked back from that date. Um, I don't know, Martha, if we have any plans to go to council for this summer's plan um, if we're doing evenings or if we just want to wait for the conclusion of the study for the long-term decision. I know there is kind of fatigue in the community about this question of what are we doing? So it might be nice to have a final answer, even if that means we might have to skip the summer, but um, yeah. Martha, um and I don't want to speak for council or anyone else, but I think there's general consensus that, you know, we want to make the right decision and a super informed decision. Um, one thing that wasn't on the slide that Victoria showed about 
the what the consultant will be setting, of course, is a cost for the cost proposal for these different options. And so I think um, folks seem to be open to the possibility of just doing nothing on Park Lane this summer unless everything aligns to make a really concrete um, decision. Should council decide to um, to you know, authorize a longer term closure of Park Lane. I think there's a lot of um, uh, energy to give people who would be affected a long lead up time, um, like probably at least a year. So I don't think that's been answered yet, but um, I think um, my sense is that people wanna retain flexibility on doing anything or doing nothing on Park Lane this summer, depending upon the outcome of the study and council's feelings about it. Yeah, I think from my perspective, seeing how Park Lane has functioned and it is a unique and beautiful public space within our city, I think it would be a missed opportunity to go back to not having anything this summer. Um, so at least from my perspective, I think that would be something that we should push for even if it's something that comes out of the study is not implemented until next year to still have kind of a sustained um, kind of condition as we've had in previous summers. Uh, in terms of kind of key topics and input, I, I, I was kind of thinking about if I would be weighing the different options, the key criteria that I kind of go to are safety, user experience, mobility, um, of course, public input, and that weighs across the board, whether it's business owners, residents, or visitors, um, the implementation component, and then kind of just a broad one for the city's goals in the area, because I think that it's not just Park Lane, it's how Park Lane is a piece of all of downtown Kirkland. So that, those were kind of six key factors that I kind of condensed everything to when I was looking at this. Another thing to consider is uh, the timing with the um, pedestrian scramble project. Kirkland Avenue. Yeah, I need to check the construction schedule unless Julie, you know. Um, we just reviewed this and um, unfortunately um, PSC is in our critical path. Okay. And so what does that mean? It means it probably will need to be pushed out a few more months. Um, and our parks department is delighted to hear this because initially the way it was starting to line up is we were going to conflict with the 4th of July parade. So now we wouldn't have them probably come in and do construction until after the 4th of July. Um, and as you recall, I know, Kurt, I sent you the memo on that. We are looking at like a 14-week construction period and two months of full closure. That's a big deal. So I do think that's a very good point that we want to um, consider that if we do something in Park Lane this summer. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, it's just the way it, it's yeah. turned out. Um, PSC is behind on a lot of 
um, things. If you have ideas for how we can get that moving, I'm open to hearing them, but we are um, not only this project, our fire station project, I mean, so many projects. So, um, and PSC is, you know, not um, really as responsive as we would like. Um, I was wondering about, um, and maybe it's something we can take advantage of um, this summer, uh, even if it's shortened, but using it as an opportunity to kind of pilot ideas of and, and see what um, the impacts are. You know, like, so the, the retailers don't really have strong kind of direct experience of what it might be like for it to be um, open to pedestrians only um, on a weekday, you know, how does that affect their deliveries? How does that affect their garage or their garbage pickup and those types of things? And, you know, I think there does need to be um, planning around it and say, you know, this week we are going to test, you know, closing it to cars, um, to vehicular traffic. And so that there's the opportunity to plan and almost make it like an event and test some of the activation strategies. And, um, uh, but it's like, you can't really um, test and get a sense of what issues might even arise that we haven't even, even thought of yet, or the business owners haven't thought of yet um, until you just get out there and do it. Um, so I, I would hope that we provide some opportunity <laughs> to do that kind of data collection and, and don't just say, you know, we can't do it this way because people have concerns that this could happen, even there, though it hasn't been studied to establish whether or not that could happen. Is a, is a concrete suggestion, for example, let's do it one week where there are no holidays and just see what happens? Is that what that would saying? be okay. yeah, one suggestion? Sounds good. Would it be possible to um, make that one of the questions for the business audit? Say, if this happened, would you have any concerns? Yeah, the um, listening sessions with the business owners and property owners are really an open forum for them to tell us whatever concerns or ideas they have. I know a lot of them already have things they want to share, so we don't have pre-prepared -pre questions for them. It's really more of tell us what you want to tell us, really opening, open to feedback and input and what do they want to learn out of this study. It's really kind of the groundwork um, for this study than, than presupposing any outcome. Sure, I just thought yeah. it might be good just to say, hey, we're kind of considering this, any thoughts? You know, because that way you flesh out and you bring in. Um, um, you might not have the data on this, but after our, neighborhood traffic kind of discussion. What is the rough amount of traffic per day that Park Lane gets? I know there's roughly what, like 17, 18 parking stalls is what we're talking about. Um, but how many cars are going through there on average? We have done counts. I know we did a speed study and the average speed was 14 miles an hour. And yes, it's 17 spaces, but I don't recall the volume. I'll have to look at that and get back to you. I remember it was low. When we're thinking about the potential impact of closures or even closures for certain periods of the day, you know, how many 
how many drivers would that impact? Um, yes, it may impact business functions in certain ways, um, but I think it's it's very different than a more arterial street that we'd be considering. Like the coffee shop, I would recall, is one that really counts on that in and out traffic. When the winter months come on, they want to come in and get their coffee and go, and they don't want to have to drive to the library. Uh, I believe AG has a question. Uh, I more of a comment, I guess. Um, I heard somewhere in the past that those parking spots tend to get a maximum of five different cars a day, um, which to me doesn't seem like a lot of people personally. Um, but I think at least having it open for the summer, I mean, it, it, having it open for the summer means that at the very least businesses can kind of see how that's going to affect them. And also um, that people who are wandering around there can see what it will be like um, rather than having it revert to no pedestrianized time uh, and kind of maybe losing what what has been happening in the summer. Um, I mean, I've, I've walked up and down that street, both when it is full of cars and when it's blocked off. Uh, and it is so much quieter and more peaceful without all the car noise um, that I, I think is a pedestrian, it's beneficial to have it closed at least some of the day. One thing I picked up from uh, something AJ just said there, um, is it possible to actually do counts of the turnover of individual cars in each parking spot uh, and get that kind of sense of like how many people are those parking spots allowing to come to the um, that block a day? Certainly something we could do. It's not part of the consultant scope. So it would be a city staff ask. Um, we did do uh camera observations of the number of times people cross the streets. We do have pedestrian counts. I need to check that might have also counted how many times people are using the loading stalls. Um, but I do know of those 17 stalls, uh, one of them's an ADA stall, four of them are 15 minute stalls, and one is a 30 minute stall. The remaining 11 are two hour time restricted. Is it possible we could look at citations? I don't know. I think it, it's a great question. And we could see if um, uh, we could see if we could do like a, a day or something, you know, like a spot type thing to just at least get a flavor for what's going on. I should also mention there is that broader work program of evaluating parking downtown and 
management of parking downtown, looking at costing and time restrictions. So that might be a better fit for that program, which is more comprehensive evaluation. Sounds good. Raphael? Like, uh, quite a few ideas and mostly things to think about. So the, the first one is obviously a rollout of this magnitude comes with a lot of concern and hey, let's close it the entire summer. It's a difficult pro proposition for people to just kind of sign up blindly, right? So some ideas that we heard. So first of all, control experiment, control pilot. Here's an example. You're gonna do July, August, and September. You do one week in July, two weeks in August, three weeks in September, right? Ideally incorporating what you start seeing, et cetera. And you, know, you have your activation plan. All right, sounds good. For the public and perhaps businesses to feel comfortable, what if your pilot affects my income? For a week, two or three weeks? What is the remediation plan? What is all these things, right? So I think that type of kind of mitigation of experiment going wrong um, needs to be part of the discussion so that people kind of buy in. We also heard in the public discussion part of the meeting some ideas of involving, uh, you know, a little bit more of, of, hey, success stories. We've seen this working elsewhere. We have these data. Look at what happened in this other city that matches ours and, and all that stuff. So this is just to say, think about how you could roll this in a safe way where if you fail on your first, on your first week, you can just stop. Say all of our plans just failed. Everything we were measuring, you know, we need to get back. Let's enjoy the rest of the summer. Or everything worked out. Here we go. Second week of pilot, you know, now it's two consecutive weeks. Metrics are tightened, et cetera, blah, blah. And here are the safeguards. And just kind of do progressive. And I think if all goes well, right, everybody's happy. There's more uh, satisfaction in the corridor. Business is good. Right. But I think it's the, the risk aversion and that insurance of, of how you're going to test this, what are you measuring, how are you going to roll out, and how you roll back uh, is probably something that needs to be very clear. And you probably have it already. So, I happened to see, it was, I don't know if it came out yesterday. I think it was the 23rd was the date on the article. Um, and I think MIG was the consultant for um, Santa Barbara has uh, their State Street. Um, and I don't know if they've shared this with you, but it sounds like you know, they, it was a very involved um, you know, public engagement process and everything. So um, if maybe they can um, send you that link or I can pull up the link and send you as a reference point too. It was like a paper, a newspaper article on it. Yeah, that would be great, definitely. Uh, model examples of other cities and communities that these kinds of projects have been done would be included in the final report. Um, but of course, if you have other ideas top of mind, um, we're happy to receive them and pass them along um, to the consultant. Especially closures with similar climates mm -hmm. is helpful too. Oh, one other thing that I just um, want to caution about, and maybe this is ultimately more directed to council, but um, I just know the the way that it went down with the big engagement back in 2021, the survey, it was one of the most um, highly responded to surveys I think um, the city, city had ever had. 
the public was overwhelmingly in support. It was like two thirds or more in support. Um, and um, you know, just uh, you, know, I knew of a lot of people who um, spent a, put a lot of energy into supporting um, this effort. And um, then the way the council ended up voting kind of went against um, what the residents seemed to be in favor of. And it just it really um, killed the energy of a lot of these people who you know felt like well. They're not going to listen to us anyway, so why should we even waste our time? So I just feel like that's an important thing to consider um, in, you know, how it's being presented to council, um, uh, that kind of that broader lasting impact on that side of things, too. <laughs> I guess I didn't mention, but also on that updated website, uh, there is a, a button now for folks to submit comments or thoughts or ideas uh, in addition to these kind of more focused listening sessions that we're doing as part of the study. Any more comments, questions from commissioners? Any online? I didn't go through all the questions. Oh, you you have more questions. If, I'm if looking at the questions in provoke, front of me. So to provide thoughts, yeah. You know what? Just the first one's very broad. What are your ideas for the future of Park Lane? A fully pedestrianized plaza, a hundred percent of the time, <laughs> with lots of activation and support for the businesses. What would activation look like? Um, having um, events, things that are attracting um, people to the space um, and for people who do need to drive downtown, um, good wayfinding for where they can park, you know, out of, I don't know what percentage, you know, the 11 or so parking spots are of all parking in downtown, but it doesn't seem like taking away 11 should ruin anyone's plans to get to downtown. Um, so I, those, that's a couple of things I thought of. AJ. Uh, I would like to echo that thought that I think the, the ideal or the future of Park Lane would be a fully pedestrianized plaza. Um, that it's it's a place that has when I've been there and it's there's no cars it's felt lively and like somewhere that you could actually hang out and spend time and money and money <laughs> I'll add that like the activation you know if if there are the parking stalls aren't needed for vehicles anymore. That is a perfect space for people to be able to dwell on Park Lane. Because right now, if the, the stalls are full of vehicles, cars are driving down the lane itself, you're kind of squeezed into the sidewalks on the side. And it's mostly just a go up and down until you're at the ends because otherwise you're blocking um, traffic. I do that with two kids and sometimes we go to Serena and then they're hyped up on gelato and sugar. And it's like, okay. We need to go somewhere else. Um, but if there was, a, you know, some space to be able to climb on some, you know, like 
um, little kind of rock platforms or formations or seating, it will really make it feel more like a place people want to stay longer. And whether it's, you know, summer or any other season. Also, it's really hard to say for me, yeah, all of it, all the time. Like, I think, uh, I think the future of Park Lane is perhaps like all modes of transportation, all the things that we try to do is probably mixed. Uh, it probably has a seasonal nature, it probably has, uh, you know, ties to, to how businesses operate during the winter, which is very different from the summer. And, and it's a big optimization space that needs to be studied carefully. Hard to say how much of one versus not enough of the other. I think too, um, a lot of those businesses have very, really varying hours. Some of them are in the morning really strongly, and others at the evening. It's really hard to generalize that. Uh, Shri, you had your hand up. Yeah, I just had a quick suggestion on the park, the street lane closure signs. So maybe you can um, have it on the website saying like on these days it's closed. And it can also be like an alert or like an information on Google Maps so that if for some reason they need to go past that um, park lane, then there's like a rerouting to a different route. I'll add on to Brian's comment. Um, also, without cars, without having to have a parking spot for a car, it, it's a place that you could put in um, bike racks to hold more bikes. Also, you know, because those end up, they don't take up nearly as much space as a car. But if you're having to use sidewalk space for a bike rack, then it's less space for people to dwell. Next question. Uh, what are key topics for the consultant to consider? And you have touched on some of these already. Sorry, can I just jump in here? And I don't know the protocol or, or the technology well enough, but we do have some hands raised in the attendees who are online. Um, I don't know whether they are able to join the conversation or maybe do we ask them to put their comments in the chat and those get recorded. We have some members from the public um, online. Yeah, um, I, I believe that protocol says that the public comments are only limited to the beginning sections of the meeting. Okay. Okay, so they can, they can hear that. I just wanted to acknowledge them. Thank you. But they can send in comments to the Transportation Commission email, to staff here, uh, to City Council. Okay, thank you. And I'll make sure they have the link to um, the comment box on Park Lane as well. Thanks. Thank you, Martha. Any further thoughts, topics for key topics uh, for the consultant to consider from the commission? And then lastly, uh, what information would you like to know about each scenario? It's also kind of 
good information for the consultant to have. What are the questions we're trying to answer? What would you want to know before giving your advice to counsel? Could you please put those three scenarios back up? Oop, there it is. Regardless of scenario, I, I think it would be useful to understand per group, such as business owners, you know, people who have sort of all that. Concern, plan mitigation, you know, concern about impact, plan mitigation, and opinion with whatever you know now. Where plan mitigation can be null. Somebody's concerned about, hey, I'm not going to be able to get my deliveries. Gonzalez so acknowledge from business, you have a response, and if needed, you have control and mitigation. I think seeing that for each one gives you, you know, a way to distinguish one from the other. I think as um, Victoria pointed out a little bit ago, too, is um, finding where studies have been similar situations have um, happened elsewhere and um, you know, best practices and lessons learned from those and how those might be incorporated. I might add that kind of how we weigh the options um, against each other is going to be important. And if we have a base case option, I would advocate for what we've had for the past couple of years to be the base case because it's what the public understands and businesses have experienced. So all the public input will probably be with respect to that condition where we have effectively kind of a rough summertime closure um, in the evenings. And um, then being able to understand across the criteria that are used which options perform better or worse to the base case so that when it goes to council, there's kind of a clear metric of kind of almost a heat map of whatever criteria is established um, to be able to say, okay, this is, you know, maybe there's a clear, you know, best performing option of the three. I would echo that. I think that's a really good idea. Um, whereas before, we public didn't really have a baseline, right? The um, non-study that, uh, that you have in the green box to take no further action on Park Lane is basically to never have other than kind of special events, never um, pedestrianize it. Correct. Yeah. So we would still have special events like the parade or the car show or any other special activity would still proceed as normal, but we would just restore the parking full time. We wouldn't have evenings on Park Lane. Is that an option? So that's not really um, the same thing as the baseline that you're referring to is, is more scenario three. That's, that's what people have gotten used to the last, at least the last two summers. Yeah. Any other comments, uh, responses on this um, question about uh, what information would you like to know about each closure uh, from AJ or Shri? 
Uh, nothing in particular, just that, I guess, to ma- make the comment once more that I think it would be, uh, I, th- I think it would be a loss to completely return uh, to, to this, this green box here to not use Park Lane as a pedestrian area. Super. Well, thank you. I um, just have one more okay. comment that's not an answer to these questions, but just um, my mom, who lives in an excerpt of Houston, Texas, um, was sharing with me that when she travels, she always is attracted to these kinds of pedestrian plazas. That's where she wants to spend time, you know, unless she's like out in nature or something. But when she's in town, she wants to go to dinner, when she wants to go shopping, it's these places that have. Um, you know, that are more welcoming to pedestrians as a place to really dwell, sit out, have a glass of wine, people watch. Um, And I'll just say, I found that shocking because she comes from a very car-centric world in life. So um, I just just thought that was such an interesting perspective for her to share that, um, you know, a lot of times we might think that it's only, you know, a certain age group of people or, more urban preference people that are attracted to this. But when we all kind of step back and go, you know, actually when I go to, you know, whatever town, it is what I like to do. That's what, that is what I'm attracted to. So it'd be really great to see Kirkland be able to offer that um, kind of setting. Thanks. I was just going to share, we'll conduct a similar listening session with this slide deck with planning commission tomorrow. And again, we'll return to you in March once the consultant has developed visualizations of each scenario, got an idea of what, you know, all the considerations and things you would have to do to make each of those scenarios successful um, to you to present for your feedback. And then again, we'll go to council in June. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Victoria and Martha. All right. So we will move to our next agenda item. Um, which I think is the last one for the evening. Uh, and that is on the transportation master plan and comprehensive plan update. We will have transportation planner Kimberly Scribner and senior planner Janice Swenson um, provide a status report on the transportation master plan and comprehensive plan um, update process, including an overview of two reports that have been completed to initiate an equitable and inclusive comprehensive plan update process and assist with our long range planning efforts. Hi, nice to see everybody tonight. Um, Thanks for uh, um, the introduction, Faith. I'm Kim Scribner, one of our transportation planners, and I'm here with uh, Janice Swenson from our planning department. Um, We are here to give you an update on where we are in the comprehensive plan update process and also the transportation master plan update. Um, and just as a quick kind of overview, um, the transportation master plan is its own master plan, and that will inform the, the transportation elements of the comprehensive plan. Um, but these are all happening in coordination. The transportation component is it's a pretty big um, part of it. So I'm going to hand the, um, excuse me, show my phone. 
Um, Janice, while I'm sharing my screen, will you um, please introduce yourself and uh, get us started? Sure. Uh, Janice Swenson, project manager for the Comprehensive Plan Update. We uh, uh, visited with you to brief you um, on the Comprehensive Plan Update in July. So we've been really busy uh, getting the community engagement uh, uh, plan uh, completed and starting to implement that and uh, the Eco Northwest Equity Review Report that you'll hear a little bit more about. Uh, we have, as a reminder, uh, we need to update the comprehensive plan by December 2024. Um, and uh, so we will be uh, coming back to you uh, throughout the, the uh, process to um, brief you on the update. And uh, by the way, when we visited, when we uh, briefed the city council and planning commission in December, they did, planning commission did request that, uh, that they have a joint meeting with the transportation commission uh, somewhere along the line. So we will uh, figure out when the, the best time for that is. So just as a reminder, uh, some of the key themes for this update that will be interwoven throughout the policies and the comprehensive plan uh, will be uh, advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. And uh, uh, Part of that is the equity review report that you'll hear more about. Sustainability, housing options for all and housing affordability, mobility connections to regional transit system and accessibility, resiliency, uh, smart city initiatives, and uh, consistency with the city council goals. So with that, I think I will turn it over back to you, Kim. Great. Thank you, Janice. Um, one of the um, what we wanted to talk about tonight is our, um, <clears throat> uh, starting off with our community engagement plan. So we brought on Broadview Planning and that they have been working with a team of Kirkland staff to um, put together the, our engagement report. Um, our goals um, include um, increased involvement with priority populations and reaching stakeholders um, who want to live in Kirkland but can't. Um, there's a huge focus on um, really learning and um, better understanding how we can build relationships, um, go where people are. Um, and we have had a um, really nice team. There's a dedicated staff from planning who's um, essentially um, focused on implementing the engagement plan. Um, we've been working very closely with our city manager's office, and there's been a ton of work going into identifying um, and reaching people of our what are we are looking at um, to um, that are underrepresented um, often in engagement processes. So we've been focused on our priority populations, and um, there has been a lot of work trying to put together focus groups from these populations. So. Um, if any of you um, hope the Transportation Commission can feel free to help spread the, the word, um, we're really looking to um, make it a meaningful process and reach people that are generally um, often underrepresented in an engagement process. So we've been doing a lot of different activities so far. There have been some 
Um, staff has attended holiday events. There is a visioning survey. We had a visioning event on January 11th. Um, I know some of you are there. Please feel free to you know, comment about it. Let us know um, if you felt that that was a successful event. Um, we heard a lot about uh, reducing emissions, um, affordable housing, a lot of comments about transportation. Um, and <clears throat> um, Janice and I are also working with um, two high school classes, um, one from Lake uh, Washington High School and one from Winita High School. And so that'll be interesting. The, the timing really lines up with our engagement process and we're really excited to, to work with uh, high schools and these students. Um, and so we, like I mentioned, we're doing a lot of, trying a lot of different things, learning the best way to reach people. Um, and so this has been a big part of our work. This is, as I mentioned, we've have this uh, multi-department team. It's been going really well. Um, but, um, we'll be, we're handling this all as staff. Um, that's not part of the consultant work. Um, throughout the, um, the year, uh, we have um, different uh, elements of the comprehensive plan um, targeted and we're having targeted engagement throughout the year on various topics. And so um, right now we're um, really focused on the March and April timeline um, on the transportation and land use component. So with that, um, are there any questions about the public engagement process? Any comments for us before I move it on to Janice to talk about the equity report? I, uh, I don't know if now is when you want any comments about the visioning event or if there's a separate time later to comment on that. Great time, yeah. Um, so I did attend, I were you there? Uh, oh, right, I, I knew Kurt was there. Um, I, I thought it was really great. Um, uh, I think it's the nature of the, the kinds of people who show up at visioning events um, tend to, um, you know, be more visionary type thinkers and long term. And um, so it seemed like most people were pretty in sync with what the vision of Kirkland in 20 uh, years would be, uh, you know, which is this uh, green, walkable, sustainable um uh, and, you know, personally, I think that's that's great. Um, but I was worried about the missing voices. Um, it was pretty obvious that um, from what I could at least see and the people that I knew, um, definitely strongly represented by the kind of uh, white, wealthy, um, you know, highly educated um, resident uh, demographic there. Uh, so, um you know, I just, I, it's, I think when it comes down to it, it's, it's one thing for the the city to, you know, say that we're inclusive. Um, and I just like to see um, a lot more effort in actually bringing um, the different voices uh, to the table. I don't know what that's going to take. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have any answers oh, for you, Yeah, uh, but it's an observation. <laughs> and it's, it's challenging. Um, when, a couple examples, and Janice, feel free to chime in, are um, providing um, incentives, um, either kind of a gift card or some type of stipend, 
um, food, that type of thing, meeting people where they are. Um, we're also trying to set up these focus groups. And then even today we had a um, conversation with a with an external nonprofit um, about, you know, uh, um, that kind of helped to give us a lot of advice and who we might work with um, to do exactly that, to <clears throat> figure out um, from the people that are being asked a lot about how do you, we get your people um, or our priority populations and actually reach people and then get them also excited and interested in wanting to show up for focus groups. And so, um, yeah, happy for more suggestions or again, like I mentioned earlier, that outreach, if you are connected to, you know, groups of people that we haven't talked about. So, yeah. Um, providing childcare and transportation would be a couple of other ways to help incentivize. All right. Any other comments, Janice? No, that um, that is that those are good suggestions. We are really working hard at this, and so um, hopefully we can make some progress and hear some, get some some new voices involved. So great. Um, well, pass it off to you. Okay. Yeah, as part of the um, comp plan update and transportation master plan update. Uh, the city, we hired uh, Eco Northwest to prepare to do an um, really what we what I call an equity uh, scan and of the text and policies in the comprehensive plan throughout the document. Kim, can you uh, go to the next slide? Yeah. So they um, and hopefully you've had a chance to look at it. Uh, there is a link in in your packet. Uh, the consultants make suggestions for uh, how to plan for equity. They uh, they refer to the city's uh, DEIB five year roadmap. Uh, they it includes a community profile for Kirkland, which we will be doing a more extensive update of the community profile that talks about you know who we are as people in the community from a race, population, income, age level. Uh, the report uh, and on page uh, the trend the suggested policy changes and text changes. Uh, related to transportation, the transportation element start on page 60. So it's worth taking, if you haven't done so already, take a closer look at the suggestions that they make, uh, make for the existing policies, uh, revisions to make to the existing policies, and new policies and goals to add, and also uh, metrics to consider to uh, monitor you know performance um some of the uh suggestions the recommendations are questions to consider uh policies to mitigate displacement of vulnerable populations uh and that includes uh maybe looking at areas of the city uh with uh, different income levels where it might uh be a good idea to prioritize uh, funding of capital improvements in certain areas of the city. Uh, it provides, the report provides a scan of the state, regional, King County equity and inclusion policies that 
we uh, should consider um, amending and revising in uh, the transportation element and elsewhere in the comprehensive plan. So uh, we, you know, this has really uh, given us a lot of uh, good work that we can incorporate both in the transportation master plan and the uh, comprehensive plan. So, you know, we'll, we can get started right away in making suggested changes to many of the elements. And we'll, once, um, what we will do, of course, you'll see copies of uh, draft text. And so we'll, we'll try and indicate which ones were recommended by the Equity Northwest um, report. So some other more general suggestions that they recommend are uh, actually incorporating and adding in history about Kirkland's indigenous peoples and history, um, integrate findings from our native history document, and be more explicit acknowledging the colonization and ongoing impact upon indigenous groups, um, acknowledge uh, discrimination in housing that has occurred, and like, uh, and there's some examples here of uh, maybe exclusionary type of language, such as uh, neighborhood quality or protecting single-family neighborhoods, things like that that might be considered exclusionary to say uh, multifamily housing, um, and as far as a text for related to mobility, uh, including text that uh, that encourages mobility needs for people with disabilities and historically underserved communities, and promote the health of vulnerable and road users that are not protected within a vehicle. So really look at things more from a multimodal standpoint, which the existing policies do, but uh, more than walking, more than biking, just including the whole um, the whole uh, non-motorized or you know non-car-centric uh, uh, policies. So let's see. I think that's about all for the equity review report. Oh, okay. Yes, important as part of the community profile, they do show these maps that show the estimated number of housing units under federal poverty level uh, limit by census block. So these are really helpful maps to show uh, the uh, census blocks in the city that have a lower income population. And the next slide, please, Kim. Oh, okay. So um, this talks about the phasing for the next steps, but take a look at the community profile section. I think those maps are really good to show uh, areas that of the city where there might be uh, desperate impacts uh, to the population, uh, displacement, uh, or uh, uh, maybe population where they may be uh, more at risk of displacement from development. So that's it on the, uh, oh, do you have any questions on the Eco Northwest Equity Review Report before we move on? Okay, pass it back to you, Kim. All right, um, 
So we are now in um, the community visioning process um, uh, that is um, headed um, that throughout essentially uh, 20 throughout this year. Um, once we bring on our consultant team, which um, we will be doing in February, um, we'll be getting, getting started with the um, getting the plan developed. And so, um, as Janice mentioned, this needs to be um, adopted. Um, the ultimate deadline for um, the comprehensive plan is December of 2024. And we're aiming for much earlier in that process, um, up earlier in the year. And so we'll be looking to um, have a, a draft uh, transportation master plan early um, early next year. So um, we'll have a, you'll be hearing a lot from us. So in terms of um, getting involved, uh, there are a lot of links you can sign up um, to, um, for, for, to a listserv. We have a short visioning survey. Um, there will be many more events um, that we'll be doing, as I mentioned earlier, our targeted engagement um, by topic of the, um, based on the various um, elements in the comprehensive plan. Um, and so tonight was really a uh, check-in with you all. Um, the last time we spoke in July, we talked about the scope um, and the elements in the transportation master plan and um, that we'll be folding in our um, modal plans. I didn't want to repeat that conversation, really wanted to focus on um, talking about the equity report and the public engagement process, which is what we've been very focused on. Um, once we bring in our consultant group, um, we will hit the ground running um, with um, pretty far along in the process as we've been doing a lot of this work in-house. Um, so, but very excited. And when they, we bring them on, um, we'll be we'll be coming back to you often. I felt that it was successful in the active transportation plan process to have a lot of check-ins with the transportation commission. So they'll be seeing a lot of me and likely Janice too. Um, we'll bring our consultant team in um, once we um, get ourselves settled. And then as, I, as we've talked about a lot, um, we're really ramping up for the March and April focused engagement. Um, and we'll be putting together a specific transportation survey. So. With that, um, are there any comments or questions anybody has for either of, for either of us? Uh, I'm glad to hear that the Planning Commission is interested in having a joint meeting. Uh, do you know about the timing of when that would happen in this process? We haven't um, we haven't given too much thought to that. Uh, it, I guess in my mind, it would makes sense when there's a little more substance to discuss um, between the both groups. So we'll have to get back to you on that. I see in the green box that's up here, you know, the conduct targeted engagement combining transportation and land use in March and April. I'm, I, I don't, there's probably pros and cons to doing a joint meeting before or after. Right. So, right. Um, yeah. That's Any other questions or comments from other commissioners? Nothing for me this time. Great. 
Okay, I guess that's it. Thank you, Kim and Janice. Thank you. Look forward you. to hearing from you more in the next few months. All right. Um, so now we'll uh, wrap up with comments and updates from staff and commissioners. Joel. Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, so a few updates that are mentioned on the um, on the agenda. Uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but wanted to highlight a couple of as construction season is upon us and looming to expand as the year goes forward. Um, a couple of fairly significant closures that are coming up. Um, first of all, there's the, uh, talked a little bit about this already, but the Kirkland Avenue and Lake Street closure. Um, that uh, is necessitated because that is going to be a raised intersection. So current, um, the intersection will be uh, raised up. So it's um, even with the surrounding sidewalks. And of course, um, that is, brings the, vehicles and pedestrians to the similar level, which does kind of create a more of a calming effect and puts folks on equal footing. But another big benefit of that is it really does help with um, ADA and accessibility for all users because we don't have to try to squeeze in the curb ramps on all those corners where the sidewalks are pretty narrow. The other thing we'll be doing is we'll be building that um, intersection out of concrete and of course, that also necessitates a whole different, you know, um, means and methods of construction as opposed to asphalt and, and stuff. So there'll be an eight-week closure, full closure within the street, and then about seven weeks of uh, uh, work behind the curb. And so there will also be a, a real big emphasis on making sure that we're working with the surrounding um, businesses and, and impacts and making sure that um, pedestrians and those types of things can can make their way the best they can. So, um, the, and as um, Julie mentioned, the exact timing of that is, um, you know, to be determined in working with um, uh, PSE and um, getting that out um, out to add and, and constructed, but sometime this summer. Um, the other big, pro big closure coming is a little bit more localized, but, um, uh, still quite impactful and that is 116th Avenue Northeast from Northeast 132nd Street up to um, 115th Avenue Northeast. Uh, for those of you who are familiar, this is just to the east of uh, 405. Uh, it's a really steep grade up into the Kingsgate neighborhood. Um, and so that's going to be closed for uh, about two months. Um, or eight weeks also. That one could stretch a little bit longer, but um, that is something that we've worked out with the design builder for the 132nd interchange. It was not part of the original plan, but they also had pro um, issues with um, a different utility provider. I, um, I believe it was Zipley and some timing of getting some work done that slowed them down and they're trying to stay on, on time so that they can wrap that project up and instead of, um, you know, forcing them to drag everything out further and, you know, kind of, you know, keep construction chaos around longer, um, there are a number of other connections into that, that neighborhood. And so we felt like um, after looking at it, that that was a, 
appropriate thing to do. They were going to build kind of a temporary street there and um, uh, WashDOT, the city and the design builder have all agreed that we're going to um, go go this route instead. So that's going to be the spring. Um, we'll start, uh, you know, I think February, March timeframe. I don't think uh, it, it's not too imminent because we are going to do a lot of it notice for that as well and work with the design builder on that. So couple of big closures there. Um, and Joel, that one doesn't have any PSE involved delay. No, that one, that one seems to be, um, seems to be more, uh, it's, it's a good thing we're taking traffic signals out instead of putting them in. So, so, um, and hopefully uh, being a much, you know, larger project, there will be some work that, you know, eventually hooking up um, stuff and those kinds of things, but hopefully that one will be able to stay on schedule. Um, a couple other construction related notes. Um, 100th Avenue, the big project from 137th um, up to 145th Street uh, is intended to go um, out to advertisement in February. Um, so that should be under construction later this year. And also the 90th Avenue Northeast 131st project that some people would think of as Goodwill Hill project linking up from Juanita Elementary up into Finn Hill. That should also be going out um, to add to for a contractor in that same general timeframe in February. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and then uh, Juanita Drive, we're still working on some things to wrap that up but that should be going um, out to add for construction later this year. So um, pretty exciting to see some of these big projects moving forward and, and stuff like that. Um, I also wanted to note kind of on a, a kind of exciting news is that um, I think the last time I was at the commission quite a while ago, we we're talking about the 405 stride BRT and the BR, Sound Transit's BRT program in general, uh, Sound Transit, was um, thinking about using, um, committing to electric buses for uh, the stride line three, which was which is the line that goes from Bothell to Shoreline along 522. Um, and those that, that line is using um, 60 foot articulated buses. Um, but uh, on 405 at the time, they were talking about you continue to use um, uh, you know, diesel hybrid type buses. And one of the reasons is that they've decided, um, Sound Trans has decided that whole fleet is going to be double-decker buses, much like um, you may see community transit run um, out of, um, down into Seattle, out of Snohomish County. And that is because they have turned out to be very popular with riders. The riding experience at high speeds is superior to the 60-foot Arctics. Um, Pre-COVID, we heard a lot of stories about some people would like, and this is like one of the rules of transit you don't ever do is you don't let it ever let a bus go by because you never know when the next one's going to come. But people were actually like letting, um, waiting for the, the double-decker buses because the ride was so much better. So, um, so they're going to do the whole fleet in double-decker for the line one and line two. And just recently, Sound Transit has committed that... Um, 
they're, uh, unless something changes, they're going to do all of those buses as electric buses as well. So Sound Transit will be running a 100% um, electric fleet out of their new maintenance space that they'll, they'll, build, they'll build, be building up in the North Creek area in Botham. So it's pretty, uh, pretty exciting. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to highlight, and hopefully everybody will mark their calendars, is um, June 17th will be uh, our Totem Lake Connector Celebration and Parade. So, um, so that's going to be really exciting, and the project is coming along, and currently they're um, working on putting railings on and, you know, uh, getting some um, uh, paint on it when they can with the weather and stuff, but um, it's, uh, it's getting closer. And um, that's uh, really exciting. So, so that's uh, that's what I had to cover, and um, I'll pass it back over to the chair. All right, thanks, Joel. Yes, that's uh, some really exciting news. Um, yeah, really cool to hear about the electric buses, and then obviously the Totem Lake connector is going to be huge uh, celebration. Um, and if you have ideas for how we should cut the ribbon, let me know. <laughs> I do have a question about, you didn't talk about this, but any updates, news on the 85th Alley Junction project? Um, besides, uh, you, you may have heard, uh, it was a big announcement on Friday, is that for those of you who may not be aware, um, the, the uh, Google changed their mind and are not purchasing the Lee Johnson site and it will remain a car dealership for the foreseeable future. Um, uh, Lee Johnson does not plan to relocate. Um, and uh, so they, they've, Lee Johnson will be, can, their, their long-term plans are to, they, I think they don't feel like um, an auto dealership is the long-term highest and best use for that site. Um, so they are still uh, committed to when the opportunity is right to selling the site um, for development. But um, Google has decided as part of their, um, it's part of their, uh, all the decisions they made last week around layoffs and stuff like that is that they are not starting any new development projects. One thing that I did learn this week that is in some ways important, um, or it is important is that um, that does not we've, we we um, city managers was informed by Google that that the one thing that that does not impact is Google will be continuing to move forward with completing Kirkland Urban and all of the work um, that Google is doing in partnership with SRM there on Sixth at the Sixth Street campus. So although they are um, not moving forward with the Lee Johnson site, they are completing all their work at Kirkland Urban and Sixth. So for the tra planned traffic improvements that were going to happen there, have those been affected? That's more my. Yes. Um, so there was a number of um, in included in the development agreement. There were a number of projects um, that uh, Google had committed to build as as mitigation for the development agreement, and um, all of those now have been put on hold. So the improvements to One Twentieth Avenue. Um, the uh, non-motorized connection that went through the Lee Johnson site and connected up with the, the um, you know, the stationary, the station, you know, kind of greatly shortening that connection. 
Um, unfortunately, all that has been put on hold now. There is, there are some projects that remain in the CIP that were city funded. Um, the seventh, uh, 87th corridor connection, connecting up the BRT station with the Cross Kirkland corridor and downtown. The idea of making that more of a walking, biking street, that's still funded. Um, there, uh, and there may be a few others that I are not coming to mind right now, but that's one thing we eventually will need to kind of go back and reassess and stuff like that. For that connection um, that is not, might not happen because it's now just still the Lee Johnson property, is there any way to like work with the owner, Lee Johnson, the owner of that property to um, make a connection, a public connection yeah, there? At this point, it's, it's not something that's, you know, on our on our work plan right now. It may be something that we come back to, but right now that's not something that, yeah. that we're looking at. Any other comments, updates, questions from commissioners? I think the only thing that I might add is that I was, um, one thing we've talked about in the past has been our meeting minutes and the level of detail in them. I feel like we've had a few items recently in some of our discussions about specific items for input. And I know the the last meeting minutes had um, kind of a specific option listed. And I think that was a really good inclusion for the minutes. Um, and so making sure that we get all of these things from this meeting that were asks of the commission for, for input and having kind of some key takeaways from there might be the, the really good pieces to have built into those minutes to make sure that they're constructive going forward. I appreciate that. And yes, that's something that I, um, you know, I've heard that from the commission and um, have been trying to document that more clearly, you know, and for example, this evening, I'll make it, make sure it's super clear. The, um, the commission's, um, the first item where, <laughs> yeah, it's been a long day. The um, neighborhood safety. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you support that. And so I, I and then, um, and so we'll make sure that that's noted, stuff like that. Great. Okay, well, if that's um, no more questions from or comments from commissioners, I think we can adjourn the meeting at 8 p.m. Thanks. Thank you.